just want to uh, kind of give you a brief synopsis on where we've been for the past several weeks. We have um, been looking at what it means to seek first as we continue to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ as we go, love, and teach. Um, we kicked off the new year by looking at what's new, and we talked about how Paul challenges us to be transformed and not to live like the rest of the world, but to be renewed uh, and to grow more and more like Christ. Uh, Then we looked at the wise and the foolish builder and to determine how we are to build on a firm foundation. And we discovered that the difference between being a wise builder and a foolish builder is what you do with God's Word. What do you do with what Jesus says? Do you hear the words of God, or in our case, maybe read the words of God, and put them into practice, and therefore you're wise? Or do you listen or read the words of God and ignore them and continue to do your own thing, and therefore you are considered to be foolish? Last week we talked about everyone's favorite topic, money, right? We looked at the Scriptures and we talked about finances and we talked about what it means to continue to build a firm foundation. We discussed some guidelines as to what it means to let it go and to honor God with our finances. And we, we looked primarily at the fact that God is a generous God. That God gave so much to us, He gave us His very best. His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, and we are called to give and to be generous as well. And I know many of you were not here last week because of the, the roads or maybe you just didn't want to come. Maybe you knew I was going to talk about money and you were like, hey, I'm just staying home. Um, we're glad that you were safe and you are safe. We're, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, but can I ask you and encourage you maybe even this week, and, and you don't hear me do this you know, very often at all, but to take, uh, what is it, I think 32 minutes um, out of your week uh, this coming week and to listen to last week's message, it's, it's on our website, princetonchurch.com. And, and the reason that I think it's important is because that message goes a long way in helping us seek first the kingdom and seek first what we're trying to do. And it's, it's an important building block as we seek to, to build on this firm foundation of what it means to, to trust God to provide for us and allow God to transform us as he's making us new. And so we're kind of building and, and working toward uh, toward you know, seeking first the kingdom. And so it's an important just building block that I think all of us need to hear and, and be challenged with. I know uh, it was challenging for me. As I said last week, last week was a difficult message for me because I don't like to talk about money. I, I just don't. And this week's message is difficult for me because I'm not very good at what we're going to talk about. Today we're going to seek what it means to live a life interrupted. Does anyone here enjoy being interrupted? Okay, let me ask it another way. Who does not enjoy being interrupted? Just raise your hand. This is, you know, a little audience participation. All right, someone tell me why you do not like to be interrupted. Well, because what I think is... (laughs) See what I did there? You got it? All right. I don't like to be interrupted, right? Uh, If I'm speaking and saying something and I'm trying to complete my thought, I don't like to be interrupted. If I'm listening and processing what I've heard, I don't like to be interrupted. If I'm doing nothing, I don't like to be interrupted. If I'm sleeping, I I don't like to be interrupted. Whatever I'm doing, I I don't like to be interrupted. And my guess is many of you are the same way, right? You're not eagerly anticipating and looking forward to someone just kind of interrupting what you're doing or what you're thinking. And yet, when we look at the Scriptures, I I think God's plan for us is to live our life interrupted. Uh, but, But the way God wants to interrupt our life is with rest, with a time out, with a break. Uh, when, I, when I think about this, I, I would say that most of us here, if we could do anything, we would say, man, I would love to get some, some rest, right? Just, oh, 
especially if you've had a stressful week or things are going bad. But, but when it comes to what God talks about in Scripture, when it comes to the Sabbath, I would propose that we don't want our lives to be interrupted the way God's talking about it. Because that's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is an interruption in our life, but it's an interruption with a purpose. And I'm going to invite you to, to help me uh, walk through this and look at Sabbath just a little bit different. as more than just rest, as more than just to stop, but, but as an interruption. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat. And I just kind of like saying that word, you know, honestly, which is why I brought it up. You know, Shabbat. Everybody ready? One, two, three. So it's just kind of fun, right? Um, it, it means to stop. It means to interrupt. It, it means to rest. The Sabbath is basically a God's invitation for us to allow our lives to be interrupted. And it's an interruption with a purpose to help us gain a balance and to help us focus our lives on God. So this morning uh, in our time together, I want to do a couple of different, different things. I want us to look at uh, the Sabbath in the Old Testament and see what it was all about and, and why God did that. And then what does that mean to us as well? You know, here in, in Jersey in, in 2015, how, how do those two things work together? And so we're going to kind of do that all at once and separate at the same time. So I invite you to grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Exodus chapter 20. If you found one of the, the pew Bibles out there somewhere, it'll be on or about page 54. You can, you can find it there. Odds are that even if you haven't been to church or you're new to church, you have either seen or, you know, something, um, the Charlton Heston version, the Disney version of how God, through Moses, led the people out of Egypt. How he parted the Red Sea, how they received the Ten Commandments, the whole, whole nine yards, Right? Generations ago, God promised Abraham that he had something special planned for his people, but the people didn't actually follow what God wanted them to do, and so he exiled them into slavery in Egypt where they spent 400 years there. Uh, God sends Moses to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, don't think so, and because he wouldn't listen, God sent 10 plagues on uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and finally Pharaoh says, all right, that's enough, get out of here, you can go now. They miraculously cross the Red Sea, and now they're out in the wilderness. There's Exodus for you for a while, right? You just, you know, read the first several chapters. But three months later, in the timeline here, God calls Moses up on top of the mountain and asks him to get out his iPad tablet and take down ten very important things that he wants them to, to know, that he's going to share with them. And he calls them commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, it says these words, I am the Lord your God. And it's as if God is saying, hey, I just want to remind you, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and the land of slavery. Don't forget, I am the one who did this for you. I want you to recognize this. Now, this is important to bring up because we have to put it in context of what was going on. Where had the Israelites been for 400 years? They'd been in Egypt, right? What had they been doing? Well, you know, most history things would say that they'd been, they'd been building things, right? They'd been, they'd been building uh, these shrines and these altars for people to worship all these false gods because Egypt was a land of false gods. And so they'd been spending all this time with all these false gods, and God wanted them to know that, hey, I'm not just some god that you brought with you out of Egypt into this land. He wanted them to know that I'm the Lord, your God. And you are my people. I am your God. This was very significant and very important for them to understand. It, it was not the idea that if you follow these ten things that I'm about to give you, then I will be your God. He says instead, I am your God. You are my people. 
we have this covenant relationship, a relationship where God says, I will, I am going to, you are mine. And there's nothing you can do about that. You are mine, and I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to give you these commandments to live by. And so God gives them to Moses to give to the people. He starts off by saying, I'm the God that saved you. In verse 3, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And basically, you know, simply put, he's saying, keep me number one. In verse 4, he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. No idols, all right? And if you continue reading that verse, basically what it says is don't worship anything that you create or anything you do on your own. Don't worship any of the rocks or the statues or anything else. Just worship me. Just worship God. And again, why was that so important? Because of where they'd come out of and what they'd seen for all those years. And so... He's saying no idols. Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. He's saying don't misuse me, especially my name. Don't take your relationship with me lightly. Don't use my name as leverage so you can get what you want or you can manipulate and control people. Don't do that. Don't abuse who I am. Don't abuse my name. Because my name is not just another word you use. So don't misuse my name. In uh, verse 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And basically, God is saying, one day a week, I want you to take a day off. I want to interrupt your normal schedule, your normal routine. And I often wonder how Moses reacted to that. The first three, I think, made a lot of sense to Moses. After all, he'd experienced God, right? He'd seen God in the burning bush. He'd watched the plagues. He saw God part the Red Sea. He saw this big, powerful type stuff from God. But this one? Look at what the text says. We're going to begin in Exodus 20, verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. I invite you to follow along in your Bible. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, Read it. Here we go. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 9, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant or maidservant nor your animals nor the alien within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. All right? So here's what I want to do. I just want to look at a few things at what the Sabbath is. And I invite you to write these down in your bulletin as as we run through these together. The first one is this. The Sabbath is holy. The Sabbath is holy. One of the things that I'm not sure we really understand in our society and in our culture is the significance of holiness. Uh, Leviticus chapter 11, and again in Leviticus 19 and 20, as well as First Peter chapter 1, talks about how we are to be holy because God is holy. Holiness is the only attribute of God that is repeated to the third power. It's repeated three times in a row. Uh, we would say something like, I'm really happy. But if we wanted the person to know how excited we are, we would say, I'm really, really, really happy, Right? Well, they couldn't underline or bold or italicize or anything like we can do today, so they just repeated it. They said, God is holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's not just holy. He's holy, holy, holy. He's set apart from what is ordinary. And when it comes to the Sabbath, it is our offering of our time to God, and it's setting it aside as special. For the Jews, this was not seen as just some suggestion, right? This was one of the ten what? Commandments, right? This was important. They understood that God was holy and that as his people, as chosen people, as beloved people by God, that they were called to be holy as well. Not only that, but we have recorded for us that God told them several times in scriptures that he was making them holy. That's what God was doing for his people, 
one of the main ideas of the Sabbath is because God makes us holy and sets us apart, we are to observe the Sabbath. We are to rest. We are to stop. We are to Shabbat. And part of that is to get our normal routine interrupted. And as we get our normal routine interrupted, it's served to to help us remember not only God's holiness, but how we are called to be holy as well. As God's children, through what Jesus has done for us, we are made holy as well. The second thing I want to point out about the Sabbath is that the Sabbath is talking about work, right? It's talking about work. If you examine the book of Exodus, you see two great work projects. The first is the forced labor of the Israelites to, by the Egyptians to build the pyramids. And, and during these 400 years, the Israelites were slaves. All they knew to do was work. Good day, bad day, tired, it didn't matter. You worked because if you wanted to live, you had to work. That's just what you did. The second great project, uh, work project uh, in the book of Exodus is, is from the, talking about the tabernacle. And what is interesting is that right before the people are preparing to build the tabernacle, God reminds them about the Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 35, verses 1 through 3, it says, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. It's going to sound familiar to them and to you. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on on it must be put to death. That sounds extreme, doesn't it? Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. God is instructing his people. And what's he telling them? This is important, right? He's saying, look, this project we're about to undertake is to do what? Is to build the tabernacle. It's to build the temple. This is a dwelling place for God. And God says, it's important that you work how many days? Six. And then you do what on the seventh? You Shabbat. You stop. And if you don't, it's death. Uh, this is God, not me. It sounds, you know, kind of weird, but, but what do we do with that? Why was God telling that? Because he wanted them to understand how important this was, how significant it was. Because in stopping, it allowed them to gain a balance in their life and to refocus on who they were worshiping, not just what they were doing. and allowed their, their lives to be interrupted. And I think the same can be true for us as well. Because part of that focus involves, number three, worship. Part of that interruption is, is worship. It's obvious that the Sabbath was to rest. Uh, Professor Olson at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, he, he points out that the Sabbath became not only a day of rest, but also a day of worship to the Lord. Those things became combined together. We see this in Leviticus as well as in First and Second Chronicles, as it speaks of the days of being a day of consecration, a day of festival, a day of offering to the Lord. The prophets were known uh, to observe the Sabbath while they practiced justice and extended mercy. David, who despite all of his flaws, was known as a man after God's own heart, he wrote a Sabbath day song. In in Psalm 92, David says, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. One of the things we see if you look in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, when the the church was was being born, uh, they moved this idea from Saturday to Sunday for the quote-unquote Sabbath. And part of this migration, there was worship that was included. The disciples of Jesus, and thus the first Christians, uh, they were Jews, okay? And they began sharing the good news of what Jesus had done with with other people. 
And, and he, as they did that, they, they were talking about Jesus' life and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his resurrection which occurred on the first day of the week. And so as more and more Gentiles came to believe, they didn't really do the Saturday Sabbath thing, right? They're Gentiles. And so it made sense to them to move from what they were doing, which was nothing, to worshiping God and worshiping Jesus on the first day of the week when Jesus was resurrected. The, the traditional Sabbath was no longer observed because of what Jesus had done. Not only did Jesus' resurrection change everything, but while Jesus was with his disciples, he was trying to show them that it wasn't so much about the Sabbath, and it was important to allow God to work in their life, but, but God desired to be in relationship with them. Jesus not only said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, in Mark chapter 2, But he also demonstrated that idea in his life. Jesus and his disciples picked heads of grain as they walked through a field and they, you know, took the the shell off of them and then they ate them, which was considered work by the Pharisees. And it was something that they weren't supposed to do. But I think Jesus did that to demonstrate that the needs of the person are more important than the rigidity of the law. Jesus healed on the Sabbath, so his disciples and even the Pharisees could could be more free in their understanding of who God is and what's truly important to God. Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome in chapter 14, he teaches them that they are not forced to observe the Sabbath, but instead are to live their lives in such a way that is pleasing and glorifying to God. I believe that Jesus was fulfilling the law. He said that. I believe it. And one of the things he did was to to teach that when it comes to this idea of of Sabbath, it's this elastic motion. It's finding a balance of work and devotion to God, of worship and gathering together, of, of prayer and of study. And I would suggest to us today this idea of, of observing the Sabbath, of, of taking a time out, of, of allowing our lives to be interrupted, but interrupted for God, it's, it's valuable to us in many aspects of our life, including our relationship to God. And maybe one of the most overlooked parts of Shabbat, of stopping, of allowing our lives to be interrupted, is our ability to care for others. And that's point number four. We need to be able to care for others. As believers, we are called to maintain justice and do what is right. To not only hear the words or read the words of Scripture, but to put them into practice. And when it comes to this idea of caring for others, the idea of Sabbath gives us the opportunity to stop and consider something, or maybe more specifically, or more importantly, someone outside of yourself and outside of your normal routine. To stop and see the needs around you. To stop and see the person struggling with addiction. To stop and see the person who needs a friend. To stop and see the overstressed person in your office. To stop and consider the responsibility of your child's teacher at school. To stop and see that things are not always as they appear. But if we never Shabbat, right? If we never stop. If we never rest. If we refuse to allow our lives to ever be interrupted. We will fail to see anything other than ourselves. And we will fail to gain balance, and we will fail to refocus our lives on God. What was important, and what I believe is still important, is, is that what was important to God is to realize that, that part of the Sabbath is that we are called to take care of others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 12, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
And the Pharisees weren't happy with that. And what I think is really funny is right after Jesus said that, he healed a man on the Sabbath, which really made him mad. And they looked for ways to kill and to stop Jesus. And Jesus was just showing us how important caring for others is. I believe as, as believers, we've com- been commissioned to care for other people, to be part of, the, uh, part of administering justice and be actively involved in the ministry of reconciliation. We, we would, I think, I think more of us would, if we simply had more what? If we had more, if we had more time, right? There are lots of things we would do, good things, if we simply had more time. Now, I know I talked about this uh, in relationship to giving last week, but the same principle applies. When we think about our lives being interrupted, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do we believe and trust that God will provide? Do we believe and trust that God will provide? We talked about this last week. If we make a commitment to tithe, if we make the commitment to give to God the first 10% of what we receive, if we try it for 90 days, as I challenged you last week to do so, if we do that, do we trust and provide, do we trust and believe that God will provide for us and meet our needs? And in this respect, if we stop, if we Shabbat, if we focus on the Lord and we give back to him our time, do we believe and trust that God will provide for us? Do we believe and trust that God will redeem our time? If you've been around here for a while, or if you haven't and you're going to come back, you're going to hear me say this often. I preach to myself and invite you to listen. That's really what I do. Because I need this. Um, the ir- ironic thing for me is knowing this was on the, you know, the preaching schedule over the past few weeks, I have not done a very good job at all of inviting God to interrupt my life. Just haven't. And what makes it more interesting for me is that God's been interrupting my life. I just haven't been receiving it very well. Instead of believing and trusting that God will provide and that he is in control of my time and my schedule and that he will redeem everything, I've been stressed out, I've been worried, I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to get it all done on my own. And when I do that, am I the only one in the room that does that? Okay. When I, yes. When I do that or when you do that, here is essentially what we are saying to God. We're saying, hey God, Do you realize how important I am? Do you realize how necessary I am? God, do you realize how lucky you are that I'm on your team? (laughs) I mean, that's what we're saying. And in my life, when I focus on the things that I have to get done, I don't respond well to interruptions. And when I don't respond well to interruptions, I don't truly care for other people. People become a task to cross off your list instead of a ministry of reconciliation to love God the way he's called us to. For many, this idea of rest, this idea of stopping, this idea of allowing your life to be interrupted, it's a scary thought. It's an unknown. It's a foreign concept. And so here's what I would propose to you. And this may be a little scary, But here's my challenge to you, and here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Would you be willing to say to God, God, I believe in you. God, I trust you. Here's the kicker. And I am inviting you to interrupt my life. Would you be willing to pray, God, I am inviting you to interrupt my life so that you can remind me that 
that you are holy and that you're making us holy as well, would you interrupt my life to remind me that while work is good, rest is good as well? So is stopping. God, would you interrupt my life so I would be forced to worship you and to be more free in my understanding of who you are? God, would you interrupt my life so that I could care for others and to join in the ministry of reconciliation? Would you be willing to live your life interrupted, but interrupted with a purpose, a purpose to help us focus on God and to build on that foundation to where we hear the words of God and we don't just dismiss them and keep doing our own thing, but we put them into practice and we are wise, we are transformed, and we are made new. My challenge to you today is would you be willing to invite God to interrupt your life? to make you stop so that you can be focused on Him. You know, every week we try to Shabbat. (laughs) We try to stop. We try to encourage you to just get rid of everything else going on, to, to put things down and to focus on God and on God alone. And one of the key ways we do that, we seek to do that every week, is through communion. Now, I'm going to ask the ladies, if they would, to go back and prepare to, to pass the elements, the bread which represents his body and the juice which represents his blood. Do you understand that as we do this, we are inviting God into our life, that we are saying, I'm going to focus on you and on you alone. We are stopping. We are interrupting our life. I, I doubt, and maybe you do and I just don't know this, but I doubt any of you take communion at home during the week, Right? This is not a part of your normal routine. This is something that just happens here. This is something where we can allow God to interrupt our normal routine and say, God, let me focus on you. Would you help me me find that balance so that I can be in your presence? Communion is that opportunity for you to take the bread, to take the juice, to stop and to focus on God and on Him alone. I'm going to pray and ask the ladies to pass the trays as we participate in communion this morning father god thank you that you love us thank you that you sent your son jesus to us and his sacrifice on the cross for us and and that we have hope and we have life god i I thank you for this opportunity for the way that that you told the disciples to do this in remembrance of you and god i pray that we would do that here this morning that we would stop just put away all the other things that will be there as soon as you know, we get done with this, but we would just focus on you. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you you love us so much that you want us to stop, that you, that you want us to be in your presence. Thank you for your love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.